Chapter Four, Part Three of the Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Teresa Downey. The record of the new year opens with this entry in Eddie's journal, January eighteen fifty. Eddie is now fourteen months old, has six teeth, and walks well, but with timidity. He is, at times, really beautiful. He is very affectionate, and will run to meet me, throw his little arms around my neck, and keep pat-pat-patting me with delight. Miss Arnold sent him, at New Year's, a pretty ball with which he is highly pleased. He rolls it about by knocking it with a stick, and will shout for joy when he sees it moving. He is crazy to give everybody something, and when he is brought down to prayers, hurries to get the Bible for his father, his little face all smiles in exultation, and his body in a quiver with emotion. He is like lightning in all his movements, and is never still for an instant. It is worth a good deal to see his face. It is so brimful of life and sunshine and gladness. Her letters, written during the winter and spring, show how, in the midst of bodily suffering, depression, and sorrow, her views of life were changing and her faith in God growing stronger. Three of her brothers were now in California, seeking their fortunes in the newly discovered gold mines. To one of them she writes, March 10th, I was delighted yesterday by the reception of your letter. I do not wonder that Lottie's death affected you as it did. But however sharp the instruments by which these lessons come to us, they are full of good when they do come. As I look back to the time when I did not know what death was doing and could do, I seemed to myself like a child who has not yet been to school. The deaths of our dear mother and of Lottie have taken fast hold of me. Life is entirely changed. I do not say this in a melancholy or repining temper, for I would not have life appear otherwise than in its true light. All my sickly, wicked disgust with it has been put to the blush and driven away. I see now that to live for God, whether one is allowed ability to be actively useful or not, is a great thing, and that it is a wonderful mercy to be allowed to live, and suffer even, if thereby one can glorify Him. I desire to live, if it is God's will, though I confess heaven looks most attractive when either sin, sorrow, or sickness weary me, but I must not go on at this rate, for I could not in writing begin to tell you how different everything looks as I advance into a knowledge of life, and see its awful sorrows and sufferings and changes, and know that I am subject to all its laws, soon to take my turn in its mysterious close. My dear brother, let us learn by heart the lessons we are learning, and go in their strength and wisdom all our days. Our children are well. Eddie has gone to be weighed. He weighed twenty-four pounds. He's a fine little fellow. I have his nurse still, and ought to be in excellent health, but I am a nervous old thing, as skinny and bony as I can be. I can think of nothing but bird's claws when I look at my hands. But I have so much to be thankful for in my dear husband and my sweet little children, and love all of you so dearly, that I believe I am as rich as if I had the flesh and strength of a giant. I'm going this week to hear Miss Arnold read a manuscript novel. This will give spice to my life. Warmest love to you all. Again, May 10th, she writes, It would be a great pleasure to me 
to keep a journal for you if i were well enough but i am not i have my sick headache now once a week and it makes me really ill for about three days towards night of the third day i begin to brighten up and eat a morsel but hardly recover my strength before i have another pull-down just as i had got to this point the doorbell rang and lo a beautiful may-basket hanging on the latch for annie full of pretty and good things i can hardly wait till morning to see how her eyes will shine and her little feet fly when she sees it george has been greatly distressed about s s and has i think very little if any hope that he will recover dr tappan spent tuesday night here we had a really delightful visit from him he spoke highly of your classmate craig who is just going to be married he told us a number of pleasant anecdotes about father eddie has got big enough to walk in the street he looks like a little picture with his great forehead and bright eyes he is in every way as large as most children are at two years his supreme delight is to tease a by making believe strike her or in some other real boy's hateful way she and he play together on the grass plat and i feel quite matronly as i sit watching them with their balls and wheelbarrows and what nots this little scamp has i fear broken my constitution to pieces and makes me crawl all over when i think of you three fagging all day at such dull and unprofitable labor but i am sure providence will do what is really best for you all we think and talk of and pray for you every day and more than once a day and in all my ill health and sufferings the remembrance of you is pleasant and in great measure refreshing i depend more upon hearing from you all than i can describe what an unconquerable thing family affection is she thus writes may thirtieth to her old portland friend miss lord i have written very few letters and not a line of anything else the past winter owing to the confusion my mind is in most of the time from distress in my head three days out of every seven i am as sick as i well can be the rest of the time languid feeble and exhausted by frequent faint turns so that i can't do the smallest thing in my family i hardly know what it is so much as to put a clean apron on to one of my children to me this is a constant pain and weariness for our expense in the way of servants is greater than we can afford and everything is going to destruction under my face and eyes while i dare not lift a finger to remedy it i live in constant alternations of hope and despondency about my health whenever i feel a little better as i do to-day i am sanguine and cheerful but the next ill turn depresses me exceedingly i don't think there is any special danger of my dying but there is a good deal of my getting run down beyond the power of recovery and of dragging out that useless existence of which i have a perfect horror but i would not have you think i am not happy for i can truly say that i am most of the time as happy as i believe one can be in this world all my trials and sufferings shut me up to the one great source of peace and i know there has been need of every one of them i have not yet made my plans for the summer our doctor urges me to go away from the children and from the salt water but i do not believe it would do me a bit of good i want you to see my dear little boy he is now nineteen months old and as fat and well as can be he is a beautiful little fellow we think and very interesting he is as gallant to a as you please and runs to get a cushion for her when their supper is carried in and won't eat a morsel himself till he sees her nicely fixed george has gone to boston 
and I am lonely enough. I would write another sheet if I dared, but I don't dare. What she says here of her happiness amidst the trials of the previous winter is repeated a little later in a letter to her husband. I can truly say that I have not spent a happier winter since our marriage, in spite of all my sickness. It seems to me I can never recover my spirits and be as I have been in my best days, but what I lose in one way perhaps I shall gain in another. Just think how my ambition has been crushed at every point by my ill health, and even the ambition to be useful and a comfort to those about me trampled underfoot to teach me what I could not have learned in any other school. In the month of June she went on a visit to Newark, New Jersey, where her husband's mother and sister now resided. Dr. Stearns, having in the fall of 1849 accepted a call to the First Presbyterian Church in that city, while she was in Newark news came of the dangerous illness, and soon after of the death at Natchez of her brother-in-law, Mr. S. S. Prentice. The event was a great shock to her, and she knew that it would be a crushing blow to her husband. Her letters to him, written at this time, are full of the tender love and sympathy that infuse solace into sorrow-stricken hearts. Here is an extract from one of them, dated July 11th. I can't tell you how it grieves and distresses me to have had this long-dreaded affliction come upon you when you were alone. Though I could do so little to comfort you, it seems as if I must be near you. But I know I am doing right in staying here, doing as you would tell me to do, if I could have your direct wish, and you don't know how thankful I am that it has pleased God to let me be with dear mother at a time when she so needed constant affection and sympathy. Yes, there are wonderful mercies with this heavy affliction, and we all see and feel them. Poor mother has borne all the dreadful suspense, and then the second blow of to-day far better than any of us dared to hope. But she weeps incessantly. Anna is with her all she can possibly be, and Mr. Stearns is an angel of mercy. I have prayed for you a great deal this week, and I know God is with you, comforts you, and will enable you to bear this great sorrow. And yet I can't help feeling that I want to comfort you myself. Oh, may we all reap its blessed fruits as long as we live. Let us withdraw a while from everything else, that we may press nearer to God. We were in a state of terrible suspense all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, and until noon today, starting at every footfall, expecting telegraphic intelligence, either from you or from the South, and deplorably ignorant of Sergeant's alarming condition, notwithstanding all the warnings we had had. With one consent we had put far off the evil day. And now I must bid you good night, my dearest husband, praying that you may be the beloved of the Lord and rest safely by him. The early years of Mrs. Prentice's married life were in various ways closely connected with that of this lamented brother, so much so that he may be said to have formed one of the most potent as well as one of the sunniest influences in her own domestic history. Not only was he very highly gifted intellectually and widely known as a great orator, but he was also a man of extraordinary personal attraction, endeared to all his friends by the sweetness of his disposition, by his winning ways, his wit, his playful humor, his courage, his boundless generosity, his fraternal and filial devotion, and by the charm of his conversation. His death at the early age of forty-one 
called forth expressions of profound sorrow and regret from the first men of the nation. After the lapse of nearly a third of a century, his memory is still fresh and bright in the hearts of all who once knew and loved him. Notwithstanding the shock of this great affliction, Mrs. Prentice returned to New Bedford much refreshed in body and mind. In a letter to her friend Miss Lord, dated September 14th, she writes, I spent six most profitable weeks at Newark, went out very little, saw very few people, and had the quiet and retirement I had hungered and thirsted for. Since I have had children, my life has been so distracted with care and sickness that I have sometimes felt like giving up in despair, but this six weeks' rest gave me fresh courage to start anew. I have got some delightful books, Manning's Sermons. They are, letting the high catechisms go, most delightful. I think Susan would have feasted on them, but she is feasting on angel's food and has need of none of these things. In October of this year, Mrs. Prentice bade adieu to New Bedford, never to revisit it, and removed to Newark, her husband having become associate pastor of the Second Presbyterian Church in that place. In the spring of the following year, he accepted a call to the Mercer Street Presbyterian Church in New York, and that city became her home the rest of her days. Though she tarried so short a time in Newark, she received much kindness and formed warm friendships while there. She continued to suffer much, however, from ill health, and almost entirely suspended her correspondence. A few letters to New Bedford friends are all that relate to this period. In one to Mrs. J. P. Allen, dated November 2nd, she thus refers to an accident, which came near proving fatal. Yesterday we went down to New York to hear Jenny Lind, a pleasure to remember for the rest of one's life. If anything, she surpassed our expectations. In coming home, a slight accident to the cars obliged us to walk about a mile, and I must needs fall into a hole in the bridge where we were crossing, and bruise and scrape one knee quite badly. The wonder is that I did not go into the river, as it was a large hole, and pitch dark. I think if I had been walking with Mr. Prentice, I should not only have gone in myself, but pulled him in too. But I had the arm of a stronger man who held me up till I could extricate myself. You can't think how I miss you, nor how often I wish you could run in and sit with me, as you used to do. I have always loved you, and shall remember you and yours with utmost interest. We had a pleasant call the other day from Captain Gibbs. Seeing him made me homesick enough. I could hardly keep from crying all the time he stayed. It seems to us both as if we had been gone from New Bedford more months than we have days. Mr. Prentice said yesterday that he should expect, if he went back directly, to see the boys and girls grown up and married. To Mrs. Reuben Nye, Newark, February 12, 1851. Mr. Prentice and Mr. Poor have just taken Annie and Eddie out to walk, and I have been moping over the fire and thinking of New Bedford friends and wishing one or more would happen in. I am just now getting over a severe attack of rheumatism, which, on leaving my back, entrenched itself in Mr. P.'s shoulder. I dislike this climate and am very suspicious of it. Everyone has a horrible cold, or the rheumatism, or fever and ague. Mr. Prentice says if I get the latter, he shall be off for New England in a twinkling. I think he is as well as can be expected, 
while the death of his brother continues so fresh in his remembrance. All the old cheerfulness, which used to sustain me amid sickness and trouble, has gone from him. But God has ordered the iron to enter his soul, and it is not for me to resist that will. Our children are well. We have had much comfort in them both this winter. Mother Prentice is renewing her youth. It is so pleasant to her to have us all near her. Eddie and A are hovering about me, making such a noise that I can hardly write. Eddie says, When I was tired, poor tarried me. Mr. Poor carries all before him. He is very popular throughout the city, and I believe Mrs. P is much admired by their people. Mr. Prentice is preaching every Sabbath evening, as Dr. Condon is able to preach every morning now. I feel as much at home as I possibly could anywhere in the same time, but instead of mourning less for my new Bedford friends, I mourn more and more every day. To Mrs. Allen, she writes, February 21st, I know all about those depressed moods, when it costs one as much to smile or to give a pleasant answer as it would at other times to make a world. What a change it would be to us poor, sickly, feeble, discouraged ones, when we find ourselves where there is neither pain nor lassitude, or fatigue of the body, or sorrow, or care, or despondency of the mind. I miss you more and more. People here are kind and excellent and friendly, but I cannot make them, as yet, fill the places of the familiar faces I have left in New Bedford. I am all the time walking through our neighborhood, dropping into Deacon Barker's or your old house, or welcoming some of you into our old house on the corner. Eddie is pretty well. He is a sweet little boy, gentle and docile. He learns to talk very fast, and is crazy to learn hymns. He says, Tinkle, tinkle, little very buddy, and give taters to beggar boys. Mother Prentice seems to thrive on having us all about her. She lives so far off that I see her seldom, but Mr. P. goes every day, except Sundays, when he can't go, rain or shine, tired or not tired, convenient or not convenient. Since my mother's death, he has felt that he must do quickly whatever he has to do for his own. End of chapter 4, part 3 of The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Recording by Teresa Downing.